Amen. As we turn to God's Word, let us pray. Uh, Lord, we ask that you just bless our time uh, studying and responding to your Word this morning. Thank you for uh, the truth of the Gospel. Lord, we thank you for the character of God that never changes. Lord, we praise you in advance for what you're going to do during our time in your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you would, open your Bibles to Psalm 119. 119, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. We're going to specifically be looking at verses 89 through 96 this morning. If you're joining with us on campus and you do not have a copy of God's Word, I would encourage you to look underneath the seat that you're sitting in or underneath the seat in front of you. There should be a blue Bible there. I would encourage you to take that Bible, open up to page 571, 571. We are walking through verse by verse uh, through uh, Psalm 119. What an amazing chapter, 176 verses uh, broken into 22 different uh, stanzas or sections, each of those stanzas are represented by one Hebrew letter of the alphabet and then each of verse in that particular stanza also begins with that same Hebrew letter and this is our 12th message and what we've done each week is we looked at what it looks like in the Hebrew language this morning uh, as we look at verses 89 through 96 the stanza begins with uh, the Hebrew letter Lamed so you'll see on the right hand side of the screen all those letters all those verses begin with that same Hebrew letter uh, the Hebrew letter Lamed is the fourth most used uh, letter in all the Hebrew language. Uh, it's also the tallest letter. And, and oftentimes, uh, because of the size of the letter and actually the shape of the letter, it's often referred to as uh, the shepherd's staff. And so if you kind of look at it, you can kind of see uh, that imagery. And it's the shepherd's staff that protects, provides, guides, teaches, and leads. And this is an amazing picture of what God's word does, right? God's word protects, it provides, it guides, it teaches, and it leads. And this is exactly what the psalmist needs. In the previous section that we studied last week, the psalmist cries out to the Lord for help, right? Help me. He's being honest. Help me. He's in a deep, dark, and dry season of his life. Uh, the scripture tells us that his soul longs for the Lord's salvation. His eyes long for the Lord's promise. The scripture says that like a wineskin in smoke, his life feels dried up, frail, lacking purpose, unable to go on. The scripture says that he's under attack. The schemes and the pitfalls of those who dishonored the Lord and hated him with lies. And the seeming silence of the Lord almost put an end to him. The questions were asked, Lord, when will you comfort me? Lord, how long must your servant endure? Lord, when will you judge those who persecute me? And it's in the middle of all those hardships that the psalmist is facing, not just for a weekend or a day or a week, but for a long season in his life, the psalmist chooses to turn to the word of the Lord. And that's what we see again in verses 89 through 96. The scripture says this, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day for all things are your servants. If your, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. So like the psalmist, you may find yourself today in the middle of extreme hardship if it be the hardships that come from the inside or the hardships that come from the outside, where should you turn, right? Where should you turn uh, to, those, to the questions of life when life really hits hard and you really don't have an answer? You can't explain it. When there's uncertainty that we face and we will face, and some of us are facing that today, where do we turn? And we would all say, most of us at least, would say we turn to the word of the Lord, right? Right? But the question is why? 
why should we turn to God's word? Why is that important for us? And that's what the psalmist is going to teach us in this particular passage. Uh, And really, it boils down to this, the stability of God's word. The stability of God's word. In the instability of life, we need the stability of God's word, right? How many of us recognize the instability of life? Life is always changing. Things are always happening. You're always getting a phone call. You're always getting a text message, right? No matter how hard you plan and prepare, and, and discern all the things that may happen or can happen, there's always something outside of your reach, right? And so in the instability of life, we need the stability of God's uh, word. And how do we know that God's word is stable? And that's where the, uh, the psalmist goes first. He talks about how the, God's word is eternal. Verse 89, he says, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. The psalmist says your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. This reminds us that even though God's truth isn't always settled here on earth in the hearts of man, right? There's always chaos in the heart of man, but God's word is always established and always fully fixed. Why? Because it is fixed in the heavens, right? God's word never changes, ever. It never, ever changes. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It is timeless. Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. I mean, think about it like this. How many of us have uh, looked into the fridge trying to find something and you find it tucked way back in the corner and one of the things you do is you look at what? You look at the sell-by date or expiration date. Anybody done that before? And, and you're shocked at how far back it has expired, right? I, I may be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure recently we found something that was like two or three years old, right? Don't judge me. It's going to happen to you, right? Uh, That's our kid's fault. They're supposed to clean out the fridge. You know, the the normal human at that point, unless it's mustard, because that usually can extend a while, you're going to throw it away, right? Uh, Unless you're Pastor Jason, right? (laughs) Pastor Jason has been gifted with enzymes that I don't even know are humanly possible, right? You can't buy these probiotics at Costco, right? They're just amazing. And, and, and I'm pretty sure it's not a spiritual gift, uh, but Jason uses the gift of his enzymes in his stomach to eat anything and everything at any time, right? No expiration date. Uh, and, but I do believe he's doing it for the honor of the Lord, uh, even though his wife uh, really has a hard time with some of the things that he puts in his stomach. But uh, if you're normal, right, not Jason, you'll throw it away, right? And here's the beauty that we find about the eternality of God's word. It never, ever, ever expires, right? And so we know that there's stability in God's word. When you read God's word, do you recognize that you are reading the eternal word of God? The fact that it is timeless, the fact that it will last forever. That's one of the reasons why you can believe in the stability of God's word. Secondly, the the psalmist talks about uh, how God's word endures. Verse 90, your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. So despite uh, the wickedness and the corruption of man, God is forever faithful. That is one of his supreme characteristics. He is faithful. God's word has remained faithful. That is important. The very character of God that he is faithful means that the word of God is also faithful. His word has endured for all generations. The same word that sustained God's people in past generations is the same word that will sustain this generation and it will be the same word that sustains the next generation. The same word that was power enough to speak uh, all of creation into existence. You go back to Genesis 1, it's through the spoken word that all things were created. It is the same word that overcomes the attacks of evil people, 
evil places and evil powers. The Bible is the most disputed and despised and debated book in all the world, right? People hate the Bible. And yet, it remains the most read, the most cherished, and the most published book in all the world. Whenever Satan seeks to stop the influence of the gospel, it only fuels the advancement of it. And we see that time and time again, especially in the book of Acts. We see it in our day-to-day. Why? The prophet Isaiah in verse uh, 8 of chapter 40 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So we believe and we trust in the stability of God's word because it endures. And then thirdly, we see that it is sufficient. God's word is sufficient. Verse 91. The scripture says, by your appointment, by your sovereignty, by your authority, they stand this day. In other words, all creation stands this day for all things. All of creation are your servants. The scripture teaches us that everything exists to serve God and to serve his purposes. God is in complete control. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that in the midst of, and I'm not just talking about global circumstances. I'm talking about your circumstances in your family right now, in your heart, in your mind right now. Do you believe that God is in control of all those things? Even when you feel like your life is out of control. If God wasn't in complete control, if God could be overpowered by might or wisdom, if God was dependent on chance or karma, if God was subjected to time and space, we would have no reason to believe or rely on the word of God, right? But God is in complete control. He has infinite power and wisdom. He leads not by chance, but by divine purpose. Not subjected to time and space, but stands outside of it. Yet he impacts everything about time and space, and we have zero reasons not to trust or rely on him. He is God Almighty, the great I Am, the Alpha and Omega, the Judge, the King, and the Savior. And the sufficiency of Christ and his word holds all things together, right? Colossians 1, 16 through 17 says this, For by him, speaking of Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So that, those two verses right there, that verse 16 actually tells us where everything came from, how everything came to be, and why it's here in the first place, right? Verse 17 says, and he is before all things, meaning Jesus is eternal. He's, he's always existed, right? And the scripture says what? And in him, all things hold together. So when everything in your life seems frail and upside down, spiraling out of control, when your earthly body begins to shut down, right? And your relationships begin to unravel. When the things of your life, the things that you tend to find great comfort in and security in and purpose in, when those things begin to fade away. What holds all things together? It is Jesus Christ revealed in his word. He and his word are sufficient. And in faith, we trust the one who holds all things together. So the word of God is stable. It is stable. It's eternal, it's enduring, and it is sufficient. But the psalmist doesn't leave us there, right? He leaves us with the second aspect of this passage, and that is the ability to apply the stability of God's word, right? Again, as a Christ follower, your number one objective isn't just to memorize a bunch of verses, right? Your number one objective is to connect with the God of the Bible and through dependency and surrender to him, begin to apply those truths to your life so that you can honor and glorify his amazing name. 
So it's not just about memorization. It's about applying the truths to, the, to your life. And that's what we find in verses 92 through 96. There are several I statements that the psalmist says. So here is the stability of God's word, and this is how I'm applying it to my life. These are the circumstances that I apply it in my life. And, and these are the places that you and I need to learn to apply the stability of God's word in our life, in our suffering. Verse 92, he says, If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. In other words, God's word is my weapon. It gives me victory over my affliction. And when we choose to delight in the Lord through the word of God, we experience his character. We experience the very fact that God truly is our deliverer, that he truly is our refuge, that he truly is our provider. Why? Because the word of God is eternal, enduring, and it is sufficient. It teaches us time and time again that God's grace is sufficient. Take Paul for an example. 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should lead me. But he said to me, the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul did exactly what we are called to do in the midst of our hardships and our afflictions. He pleaded to the Lord. That's what he did. He took his anxious thoughts he took the chaos of his cares and he brought it to the Lord. And in God's wisdom and purpose in the prayer, God answered with what? No. I'm not taking it away. Now that's tough, right? But God didn't leave him there with just the no. God gave him something amazing. He gave him something great. He gave him the endurance to see it through to the end. God gave Paul the sufficiency of his grace. And there in the grace of God, Paul was able to admit his weaknesses. That's one of the things about affliction. It teaches us to admit our weaknesses and to hold on to the very strength that God provides, the strength that brings us joy and endurance and purpose. And where Satan thought he had the upper hand in Paul's life, God's grace prevailed again and again and again. And that is true for you and I today. You see, we all have a thorn, right? We all have it. And that's the beauty of the passage because for centuries, people are trying to discern what is the thorn in the flesh. We don't know for sure. And I love that ambiguity because it teaches us that, that we all have a different thorn, right? But yet, in the midst of that, we are learning from God's amazing grace that he is sufficient for us. So we need to apply the stability of God's word in our suffering, but also in our spiritual walk, our spiritual walk. Verse 93. The scripture says, I will never, the psalmist says, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. Now, why doesn't the psalmist never want to forget God's word? Because he said it brought him life. The word life here in the Hebrew is, is talking about not, not physical life, but spiritual life. It's the same truth for us. It's through the word of God and our trust in the Lord that brings us what? It brings us spiritual life. The first Peter uh, tells us, again, Peter is writing to uh, first century believers who are going through a time of affliction and persecution, and he, he's reminding them of the living hope that they have in the Lord, and where does he anchor them? In verse 23, he says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. God's word brings life. Why? Because it is alive. 
Jesus is our living hope. The seed of God's word was planted into your soul and my soul, and it brought us eternal life and life with tremendous purpose. And according to the word of God, which is eternal, enduring, and sufficient, God will give you and me everything we possibly need in order to live a life that is holy and set apart for his glory and for his purposes. Why? Because God saved us life, saved our life. We should never, ever forget his instructions. I mean, think about that for just a minute. If you truly believe, or when you truly believe, that God is the only way to salvation through Jesus Christ, why would we want to abandon his instruction? If, it, if it's sufficient enough to make you right with God, your creator, and to absorb the wrath of God through the Son, Jesus Christ, why would we want to abandon his instruction, right? So that's what this ability teaches us, that we are to bring it into our spiritual walk, uh, third, in our crisis of identity, uh, Patrick talked about that uh, this morning, and guess what? Every single one of us, as children of God, we're going to have a point in life, probably more than we think, where we have a crisis of identity. Verse 94, he says this, I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. You know, we live in a system, in a world that wants to steal our identity, right? It wants to distort that identity. You look everywhere. You hear anything. It's all about an identity tack on you. And the word of God says what? He is mine. And I am his, right? This is my identity. God's word says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And when we face identity crisis, and we will, we must turn to the word of the Lord. I think one of the greatest places that the people of God can turn to is Ephesians chapter one. Real quickly, I'm gonna walk through uh, just uh, verse 3 through 14. Again, that, this is one sentence in the Greek, by the way. It's like Paul just keeps adding all these things. So if, if you, when you are in a place of identity issues, go to the Word of God, specifically Ephesians 1. If you're walking with somebody that's having identity crisis, turn them to the Word of God. Explain what the verses mean. Paul says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. How are we blessed, Paul? We are chosen, even as he... Uh, the Father chose us and him, talking about Christ, before the foundation of the world. Why did he do this? That we should be ho holy and blameless before him. What else do we have? What is another spiritual blessing, Paul? We are adopted in love. He predestined. In other words, this is God's plan all along. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. God has predestined you for adoption, right? What amazing love to bring us into his family. What is another spiritual blessing that we have, Paul? We are redeemed in him. We have redemption, right? That means we've been paid in full. And how? The scripture says, through his blood, talking about Jesus. Another spiritual blessing, we are forgiven. It says that we have forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. That means our sins are forgiven both uh, past, present, and future, right? Because of the finished work of Christ. Uh, we are given the mind of Christ. I mean, think about it. Now, when you open up God's word, you have the Holy Spirit of God revealing truth to you, right? So therefore, we can see things from God's perspective. He talks about that in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And so part of our uh, blessing that we have is not only to have the wisdom of Christ, but we are also gifted with a, to, a knowledge to know him, an experience to know him, but also to make him known to those around us. 
another spiritual blessing that we have is we are assured. We think about it. In the instability of life, one thing that I love about the fact that I'm a follower of Christ, I'm a child of God, and I'm gifted with the spiritual blessings of Christ is what? That I can live this life assured and secured, right? Though everything changes, I can have assurance. How is that so? Verse 11. In him, in Christ, uh, we have obtained an inheritance. How do you get an inheritance, right? Your inheritance is based on your relationship with somebody, right? Right? That's how that works. Like that person passes away, you get their inheritance. Well, our, our inheritance is based on what? Somebody dying in our place. Jesus died in our place, therefore we have an inheritance, uh, having been predestined according to his purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we were uh, the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. And so again, Paul is writing to uh, first century Christians who come from a Jewish background primarily. And so the we here is talking about those Jewish believers who are now followers of Christ. And then verse 13, he says, in him you also, so he's talking about Gentiles, and most of us would fall in that category, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were what? You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So what is our assurance based on? It's based on the Holy Spirit's work, right? We are sealed with the power of the Holy Spirit. He is our guarantee. He is our down payment, right? He's the one that makes it happen, right? So understand your inheritance as a Christ follower is not dependent on you. It's secured in who? It's secured through the power of the Holy Spirit. So look at just these verses here. We see the Father's work in verses 3 through 6, the Son's work in verses 7 through 10, the Spirit's work 11 through 14. And that's why it's important that we apply uh, the Scripture in the midst of our identity crisis because guess what? The Word of God will truly show you who you truly are in Christ. We also see the importance of applying the stability of God in our persecution. Verse 95, uh, the scripture says, the wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. Again, we have been talking week after week for the past six, seven weeks about the affliction that, that the psalmist is experiencing, and a lot of that is through persecution, right? People are spreading falsehoods about him. To those who only want to kill, steal, and destroy, the psalmist says what? I choose to turn to the one who promises life, right? That's what he does. He turns to the word of the Lord, and notice that the psalmist isn't consumed with worry or fear. I mean, did we don't see that there. He's not consumed with worry or fear. It's not saying that he didn't have fear or he did have worry, but he's not consumed by it. What is he consumed by? He's consumed by meditating on God's word. So he's not plotting how to retaliate. He's not even plotting how he can escape. He's simply meditating on the word of the Lord. The psalmist teaches us this in Psalm 118, verses 5 through 9. The scripture says, Out of my distress, so in the middle of my trouble... I called on the Lord, the Lord answered me and set me free, and I love verse 6, the Lord is what? The Lord is on my side. Do you believe that today? The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Again, verse 7, what? The Lord is on my side. As my helper, I shall look and triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Praise God for that. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. So it doesn't matter what the leadership structure is on this earth. Where is our refuge? Where is our strength? Where is our hope? It is in the Lord, right? Why? Because he is on our side. And then lastly, the scripture teaches us to apply the stability of God's word in our limitations. And I love this verse. Verse 96 is amazing. So think about limitations for just a moment. Verse 96, the scripture says, I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Uh, this verse teaches us that anything that comes from man has its limits. Human beauty, strength, intelligence, all our creative uh, qualities that we have, they're all limited, they're all incomplete. 
And the psalmist here says, I have seen throughout my course of life many things, many great, many uh, incredible things, glorious things. I've seen the beauty of your creation, the skies, the seas. I even seen a newborn baby, right? How beautiful is that? But even in the greatest things of creation, they can only go so far. They all have a limit. But your word has no limits. It will never fail. It will always be eternal, be enduring, and be sufficient. When the scripture talks about uh, the psalmist saying that it is exceedingly broad, it means that it exceeds all expectations. I mean, praise God that his word exceeds all expectations. It surpasses all understanding and all of our perspective. I mean, you can read the Bible a thousand times and still gain something from it. Have you not realized that in your walk with the Lord? Like, it's just one thing you uncover, another thing that the Lord reveals to you through his word. Again, it has no limits. The prophet Isaiah says it like this in Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, here's the beauty of our limitations. You know, we live uh, in a culture, in a world, and it's always been like this. This is just one of the default modes of the human heart. Uh, We don't like limitations, do we? I mean, how many of y'all don't like limitations? I mean, how many of us don't like asking for help, right? I mean, it doesn't matter how many times my wife says, you need to get some help. Ah, I got it. I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. And then my back's hurt for like a month, right? But the beauty of limitations is this. The limitations that we experience in this life, if it be uh, our body, uh, our emotions, our our relational uh, qualities, uh, our, our mental capacity, all those different things, perspective, all those limitations are meant to do what? To drive us to Christ and his word. That's exactly what it's for. That's God and his grace is taking our limitations and driving us to the person and work who has no limitations. And let that be a prayer for us this morning. Lord, let us see what you desire for us to see. Lord, let us understand and learn what it is that you desire for us to understand and learn. In our planning, teach us to plan in ways that bring you honor and seek your kingdom above all. Lord, in our relationships, teach us what it means to love, to serve, to sacrifice, and to put others' needs above our own. Lord, in our limitations, teach us to trust in the God who is what? Able. He is able. A couple questions for us this morning. I mean, do you truly believe in the stability of God's word today? First and foremost, it's about a relationship with the Father through the finished work of the Son. So if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that, that is it. Your relationship is primary, right? If you are a follower of Christ, your fellowship is important. Are you spending time with the Lord? Are you confessing sin? Are you repenting of sin? Are you seeking renewed trust in the finished work of Christ and how the gospel uh, is to be applied in your life? Do you truly believe in the stability of God's word? Do you believe that it is eternal, that it endures, and that it is sufficient? It is attacked every day, right? Where do you need to apply that stability? I mean, are you walking through suffering today? Are you walking through uh, an identity crisis today? Are you experiencing persecution? I mean, how do you expect uh, to grow as a healthy disciple of Christ apart from the word of God? Listen, Sunday morning is not going to do it for you. Wednesday night, if you choose to come on Wednesday night, it's not going to do it for you. It can help aid, it can help supplement, it can help encourage, but you have to spend time in the Word of God. What about your limitations? Do you feel limited today in some capacity? It's causing us 
an opportunity. It's giving us an opportunity to drive closer to our dependency on the Lord. So we're going to sing Amazing Grace in just a moment.